Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcello Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, we are here today with Heather. So welcome, Heather, to our podcast. I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so um, you made some great points on the Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook group page about Sports Illustrated, um, the cover of Martha. And when I wanted to talk to this audience about it, I thought, I can't think of any better person than Heather to kind of share some of your (laughs) thoughts. So fire away. What were your initial thoughts and where did that take you? First, I'm going to say that I do have a soft spot in my heart for Martha Stewart because I got her magazine, Martha Stewart Living, for like decades. (laughs) I loved her (laughs) recipes. I learned how to clean, you know, shirts and iron things and whatever. But I do, I have a soft spot for her. I saw that magazine cover with Sports Illustrated and I felt very conflicted. I think... You know, I wanted to like things about it, but the um, the method of delivery coming from Sports Illustrated's swimsuit issue was itself problematic for me. And I really, that's what kind of got me all fired up for your, um, <laughs> your that, those posts that you saw for me. And so I kind of had to sit back and reflect on that and say, what, what, why did that fire me up so much what what was that stirring in me and then I had to do a little bit of a dive into the sports illustrated uh, behemoth that it is to understand kind of what they're saying and what they're doing because as I came to understand what they're saying does not necessarily match up with what they're doing um, so explain so, that. And and let me pause just for a moment and say to yeah. the audience, I hope what you're catching here is I posted something on Facebook and Heather saw it and had a visceral response, jumped to her computer and wrote viscerally what she thought, you know, and then afterwards she paused. And I want to say, perhaps we should all do this. She paused and said, what was that? What what underneath that was provoking me to move so quickly and to have such a response? And I think that's wisdom. Like, I think we should all do that, especially when it comes to this issue of aging and how the world sees our bodies as women and the messages we're getting. So go ahead. So what I'm, do you mean by they don't match? So if if I want, if I can back everybody up just a little bit and think holistically about sports illustrated is a publishing magazine, right? It's there to, to make money for publishers. That is their goal. 
we have to keep that at the forefront of our mind is that we live in a capitalist society and they're not doing anything unless it's making money. So Sports Illustrated started, you know, as as a sporting magazine for men, some sort of entertainment. And what happened was they realized back, you know, this is, uh, I think it was 1964. um, They had slow months for sports back then. Um, They needed something to keep the attention of their male audience when there wasn't a big sporting event involved. So the publisher said, let's, get some girls in bathing suits and fill pages. That'll keep their attention. That is kind of the genesis of the swimsuit issue. They needed to keep revenue coming in and they needed men to buy the magazine. And That's where it came from. women's bodies to do so. They did. And they used particular women's bodies. So they we're looking for something that wasn't exactly a fashionista twiggy skinny look that was in high fashion magazines. They wanted a California girl. They wanted curves. They wanted um, someone having fun on the beach, you know, that kind of uh, aesthetic. And they also were very particular of uh, the fact that it was swimsuits. It's not full on, smut or pornography so these that um gives them cushion because the very first cover model was a 17 year old and you can do that because she's still clothed but if she's not then you're having a a policeman at your door (laughs) and some court issues So we just, this is where you have to keep in mind, this is where it kind of started of like, how can we um, bring attention? And also, you know, in the publishing world, we have to keep in mind that controversy sells. They're not stupid. They know that if they can get right on the edge, right on the edge of what is legal, right on the edge of what is going to make some people concerned about what they're bringing into the home. If they can push that edge, that's going to drive up interest yeah. and sales. They're not stupid. So it doesn't surprise me that it was a 17 year old girl. It doesn't surprise me that it was in a magazine about sports. Suddenly you have women in bathing suits. What do these really have to do with each other? Not a whole lot. They're trying to push a boundary here. So that is a money maker for them. That's where it started. Does that make sense? Is laying the groundwork? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love is it does take it a little bit away from, like, if there's men out there listening, a lot of times what I learned in the UN is that if we want to get men and women to be in allyship together, we can't be pointing the fingers. We women can't be pointing the fingers all the time at, you're bad men, you're bad men. Like, that doesn't motivate, right? That's a very shame-based way to talk to our brothers. And so what I hear you saying in a way is, This really wasn't, I mean, there was sexual objectification at play, but it really was about money. Yes. Yes. They're they're using a tool of um, a male fantasy to generate revenue. Money. To buy them another car, another boat, to whatever it is that they need to feel good about themselves. That's what they're doing. And the fantasy that they're selling, I think, is an unhealthy one. I absolutely do. But they're... 
I don't think they are necessarily trying to uh, intentionally reshape culture at the initial conception of this. I think they were just going with what's going to sell. This will sell. Let's do that. So you get to Martha and how do you perceive that in light of that now? What, what was the connections for you? So sports illustrated has morphed over the years. Like I want to give you a little bit of where it's at now. So it started with, it was like a five page spread in the, the issue initially in the sixties sports illustrated swimsuit, uh, conglomerate now is calendars, TV documentaries, videos, TV specials, trading cards, cell phone screensavers, digital subscriptions, a music festival, the Swim Daily website, um, a swimsuit edition target collection, and Sports Illustrated Resorts. This has not, it is not just about the magazine, which by the way is the largest selling issue in all magazines owned by time. This is the highest selling one they have. So this is their bread and butter. Okay. And it has morphed and spread into like a brand similar perhaps to where, you know, you see like the playboy bunny brand on things right now. Right. Right. It just kind of infiltrates things. So it has become a brand and it has spread and proliferated in many different ways. So I started to kind of reflect on this of like, what what is it that the women are getting out of this? And swimsuit, the swimsuit edition, um, as it kind of grew, was strategic. It did things that other um, magazines were not doing. It named its models. So it said, this is the, the girl you're seeing, the woman you're seeing in front of you, which then gave her... Uh, notoriety and a fan base and then made her more marketable. This is a way of saying this, this girl in other magazines, she's just, you know, she's just like a catalog model. You're just seeing her. She's, she's wearing something or she's demonstrating something, but in sports illustrated, she has a name, which means her clout professionally has suddenly increased. Sword, right. Yes, Sports Illustrated became known as like a launching pad for supermodels. They would do this magazine, then they would gain a tremendous fan base. And then as I've read articles where these supermodels were interviewed, they're saying things like, well, now that I've done this, I can choose what products I would want to be involved in, what um, projects interest me. I have choice now. Before, I I just had to do whatever came along. Now I have my own... um, career that is built on a fan base that will follow me so I get to dictate things. So this is a very uh, strategic way of saying, okay, we want you to be the uh, male fantasy, but look how it's empowering you. Right. In the end, you get agency and power and status, but you have to be sexually objectified first in order to get it. Yes. And does... Does anybody out there resonate with that? <laughs> yes. And I think here is the, the interesting thing. As Sports Illust- the swimsuit issue has continued to morph and change, they bring in professional athletes. They bring in people like Martha Stewart, who is not a model. I mean, she was earlier in her life, but she's not currently a model. And she's not a professional athlete. Why is she on this? Why? Because she has a new skincare line. And she's selling it. 
Oh. Why why do professional athletes do this? Because it ups their followers and their clout. If they want to then negotiate with a professional sports team or an athletic apparel company like Nike, oh well now you have, you know, how many millions of followers and you can command a higher price. So this is a marketing ploy is what this is. And it is not an accident that women like Beyonce and Martha Stewart have been on this. Beyonce has a swimsuit line. Like, I'm not going to um, denigrate, you know, caring for your physical body or wearing swimsuits that you feel comfortable in. But what I am going to say is this magazine is meant to promote consumer behavior based on a male interpretation of female beauty. That is what they're doing. And what do you think about, because when I saw the picture of Martha, who, by the way, is 81 in the picture, right? <laughs> I have an 80-year-old mother who is beautiful. Um, I love what one man said to me once. He said, you know, I was talking to you about what women, are, what women my age are grappling with as they age and how you become invisible and blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, women your age are not trying to become, stay beautiful. They're trying to stay young. He said, women of all ages and all stages are beautiful. What women are being forced to do is try to stay young, something that can't be done. And my mother is an 81, 80-year-old woman, and she's beautiful at 81. So I see this picture of Martha, and I see this picture of my mother, and I'm like, wait. <laughs> like, I, I'm so, yes, I love that we finally have an 81-year-old in a bathing suit saying this is what 81 beauty looks like this is a woman at 81 except she didn't look 81 correct she did not look 81 <laughs> she looked fit she looked younger than me yeah. you know and, and here like, wait yeah so here's what i'll say ahead. if 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 i had a professional stylist a professional hair professional makeup a professional photographer uh somebody to do the lighting somebody to coordinate my outfit somebody to make sure the sun shined in all the right places uh, maybe I somebody, could look amazing that, on that somebody, as well. Way, that, somebody that also knows how to tape yourself underneath clothing. Right, Cause right. Because I've actually preached from the pulpit, and I have large a large chest. And I had a woman come to me one time. When, no matter how much, what, how I buy shirts, if I buy shirts that fit the rest of my body, it's always a little bit tight between the the, uh, the buttons near the chest, and they pull out. So one woman came to me and she said, "Do you not know what actors and models do? They tape their breasts." And I was like, what? And it turns out it's a whole thing. Like you tape the shirt, you tape over your nipple, you pull up with tape. I mean, it's not even just all that. It's like yeah. they know how to be taped underneath people. Yes. They're being taped. Yes. Not there only was, videotaped. <laughs> yes. There was nothing realistic about that. And it was and that's what professionally me. done. And that bothers me. And the reason Martha did that is because she wants you to go, oh my gosh, she looks amazing. What is she doing? Let me buy her skincare product. That is 100% the line that they want. But what does that do to us? You know, so I think what does that do to us? The, there are uh, two books that I read after kind of doing this research. Um, and I'm going to... Because, butcher. Heather, you do what I do. Something bugs you and you start reading everything about I do. it, right? Everything. Everything. <laughs> so um, I read My Body, and I'm going to butcher her name, but it's I think it's Emily 
Radikowski, and she was actually a Sports Illustrated model at one point as well. And just her story of uh, what it's like in the modeling world when you are considered uh, sexually desirable. And she lived into it as I love my body and I'm going to use it sexually in any way that I see fit. And her book about her journey is so filled with sexual abuse at the hands of men that it is hard to get through because once you buy into the lie that your sexuality is what empowers you, your sexuality and your desirability is still determined by someone else. Someone else still has the power. So she was in so many scenarios there where she was completely taken advantage of. And she thought she, uh, the way she describes it is almost like she didn't think it would go that far. She didn't think it would go that far. And she didn't know how to say no because they're the one with the power. It is, she has to be desirable in a man's eyes. So if, if she's not, then she doesn't have, she doesn't have the power um, to be this woman, this model, this businesswoman that she wants to be. So that okay, book was me, a let, very let me, difficult one to get through. Go ahead. And let me insert on that. Like this idea that you're tapping on about power is pretty important to me. Cause I think this is the thing, you know, I have this justice issue in me about, giving dignity to humans as Jesus intended. And um, I think when we give someone else power over our worth or statement about our identity, all of that, we start putting ourselves in bondage. That the only person or being that has the right to have power in defining us and to state our worth and identity is our maker solely. And yes. anytime we give power over to another human being, we are actually doing idolatry. And by the way, I think we women do that when they allow themselves to be sexually objectified by men. But I also think we do it men um, having to be the provider and meet their wives' needs in a way financially and all that stuff. That gives too much power to women to identify males' masculinity. And that's, we're not to be the ones who define God or men's masculinity. God is, you know? So anyway, anytime we give, I I, want to say to people, stop giving the wrong people power over your worth. Yeah. Only God. Only God. Right. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. That was my preaching rant for the day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I agree with it. It's just... It's a hard thing to even recognize because it's so culturally. It's pervasive. Uh, yeah, it, it's the air you breathe of like if right. if you want power, you have to do this. This is how you get it, and the system was not set up for women to flourish. So you have to kind of have um, a particular eyes to see what is really coming at you, and what is that. What is that actually saying to me? Even though Sports Illustrated says, oh, we empower women. We want to show you where women are at. Women are beautiful. We love women. That is not really what they're doing. They're trying to convince women that they need something so that they'll buy something. So understanding the messaging that what is being said does not align with reality is very key. And I think 
Another book I read that very much helped with that was called Beauty Sick by uh, Dr. Renee Engelin. Um, And she just broke down kind of the results of the pervasive preoccupation with physical beauty in our culture. And what does this do to women and girls? And how, you know, talking about... um, Everything from like the depression and and the anxiety and that kind of thing that really is pervasive in women. Um, one of the eating disorders, eating absolutely surgery, yes, like dieting, the amount of money we spend on clothing, the time that we spend going to have. I mean, you know why I don't get my nails done? It's partly money, but to be honest with you, I hate that it takes time. Like, I'm so right? lazy. Who can sit there? I, I, I am so lazy about, you know, like, I've always said, thank God I'm good enough. Like, I just, I just, the whole idea of giving my time to something like that, it takes time. All the time away from other things by sitting there getting your, anyway. So, yes, go, keep, continue. <laughs> one of the, one of the key parts that she uh, clarified for me is that when you look at these media promoted beauty ideals, is how she described them, that are just, they're unrealistic. They're, they're like um, a novelty because they're so unrealistic. What 80-year-old looks like Martha Stewart? We just right. we look at that and we kind of are like shocked. They, the media companies understand that our attention is driven by novelty. They know that we look at that and, and it will command our attention. The sad part is that even when we know something is manipulated or impossible to attain, it still negatively affects women internally. They have a negative personal body response when they see things like that, even if they're media literate and they understand that it is not possible or untrue or manipulated somehow. That, so that means, is, so let me say, that's you and yeah. me. We're thinkers. We're asking these questions, right? Most people are so busy, they're not even asking the questions. And I get it. They're busy. They're doing it all right. But you and I, we're are our, our vocation, if you will, is theological yeah. thinking, right? Like we're constantly going, what is this? And what does Jesus say about this? And is this, you know, like that's our, that's our yeah. vocation. And we still buy into it. We yes. still have to like catch ourselves and go, hold on, back up. <laughs> Do not buy that. You know, like I still yes. have to talk myself off the ledge. Of like, no, that is not what you want. This is not the right messaging. This is not what Jesus is saying. That's how hard this is. That's how pervasive yes. it is. This is how much, um, this is how much of a warrior we actually have to be about this issue. We cannot be lax because yes. it is that pervasive and that strong, and it gets inside us so easily. And it's yeah, negative. I think this is something like that will be a struggle for a woman, you know, from girlhood. The whole life. Yeah, the whole life. Like, there's not a time where you won't. Now, you might learn coping skills and be able to manage it better, but there won't be a time where you're not influenced to feel like you are not enough as a woman and you need to go purchase something to make yourself more acceptable to be qualified as a woman. So that that part of our culture like i don't know how you turn the titanic with that i know how you can talk i think it 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 has brought home to me that i need to be more intentional about um speaking truth to women about what they are really good at or things that i admire about them that is not 
physically related. I don't have to shut it down and say, I'm never going to compliment somebody's dress or earrings. But like, if that is it the only thing. It might not be thing... the first thing. It won't be the first thing, right? Yes. I, I would say that's one of the ways I combat it is I talk about it all the time. I, and I bring it up in conversation. And I got, I have to be honest with you, it makes people a little unnerved sometimes. And, and I will say sometimes people get sick of me talking about it. You know, it's like it's beating the drum. But um, I've, I've mentioned multiple things in podcasts I've done. Like I was with my son in Boston with a bunch of his roommates, which were all women. And uh, they're graduate students, smart women. I mean, they're in graduate school. And one of the women said, you know, I have a fat, I have fat hands. And I don't know, I just sat there for a second. And then I said, well, maybe we should just cut them off. And she got very quiet, you know. And I was like, no, seriously, if they're, if they're fat and they're bothering you, like, why just not get rid of them? And she looked at me and I go, because your hands aren't about being fat. Your hands let you touch your mother mm-hmm. when you see her. Your hands actually let you bring food to your mouth, which you thoroughly enjoy. Your hands let you touch someone in joy or when they're in sorrow. Your hands let you pick things up. I said, nobody gives a shit that your hands are fat. Yeah. You know, if your if your hands weren't there, you wouldn't care that they were fat. Like, so I start talking about the anatomy and the importance of the anatomy. I don't ignore the body. I keep saying, let's talk about what the body really does and really is. And it allows you to be present. It allows you to move. It allows you to work. Everything you experience, you experience in your body. Your body's important. Like I look at my feet sometimes right now. I've got my foot up to Heather in the mirror video. <laughs> and none of you can see. I have a size five and a half to six foot foot. And I, I look at my feet sometimes and I say to her, you have carried me around for 57 years. You're tiny. Mm-hmm. How have you carried this massive amount of weight proportionally <laughs> all these years? You know, like I marvel at her. Like we need to start, if we're gonna have the, I think one of the ways we combat it is we talk about it. And we don't just talk about, oh, you're beautiful. And like you said, noticing beauty, that's fine. But what else is the body about? You know, I, we can say things like, I'm so glad you're physically present with me. Your mm-hmm. presence has mattered to me today right? Mm. Your body has allowed you to be here. So like how we talk about this, but that makes me, and I want to, I'm going to go off script here a little bit, Heather, but (laughs) I had this conversation recently with a group of people and it got a little upsetting with everybody, but I brought up, somebody mentioned that I'm in the house with a group of people and it came up that this woman was smoking hot. And I said, I don't really like people calling women smoking hot. And it and it was like, well, why not? And of course, you know, then they start thinking I'm being this feminist, blah, blah, blah. But it's, but it's wrapped in this concept of we use language and we say things without even thinking about what we are communicating to people and how that infiltrates us. I said, because when you say she's smoking hot, I'd like to know what's the difference. Do you say those words? I said, because what it sounds like to me is it's sexual. And they're like, no, I'm just saying she's beautiful. I'm saying, no, you're not. Because I've never heard you say about a 70 or 80 year old woman, she's smoking hot. Why don't you use that terminology toward that beautiful woman? Hmm. And it got very quiet. And, and then people got a little offended. <laughs> But I was trying to say, look, we have to be careful because what you're saying is she's screwable, if you will, right? Because mm-hmm. she's at that age. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes her valuable to you. She's smoking mm-hmm. hot because you aren't saying that about women that you don't see that way at 70 and 80. And what you're communicating to us women is not what you want to communicate, is it? And furthermore, I can't even imagine Jesus being in a room and saying, wow, she's smoking hot. Mm-mm. I just can't even imagine it. Nope. 
I mean, that, that was my second rant for the day. <laughs> we'll we'll go. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna feed off of your rant a little bit, and let's talk about the the male fantasy. What is the male fantasy that the swimsuit the ma- edition is really putting out there? Right. right. Let's talk about that um, because it's not just that this is a young, happy woman Playful that is woman. in the pictures. Right. That's not what this is about. Like, this is about a woman who has chosen to conform herself to idealized male perspective on beauty. She has put in time and effort to make herself pleasing to men. That is the first part of the fantasy. Second part, she's available sexually. There's no, there's no um, barriers to that. He can have her in his mind sexually anytime he wants. She's available. Third, she's focused on him. She's looking at the camera. She's smiling. She's happy. Mm-hmm. She is centering her existence on him. And last, she's silent, which means she can only accept. She will never reject him. He doesn't have to fear anything. This is the idealized woman that they're selling as a fantasy to men. Wow. Nothing about that is fair to women. Nothing. Or real. Or quite or, real. Or that's why it's a fantasy. Men. It's right? a fantasy. They're, they're living in their head. This woman doesn't actually exist. But if that's what you're selling, then that's what women start thinking they need to be. And that is a dangerous thing. Not just for women conforming to beauty standards, but to say that you must be available to him sexually. You must focus your life on him. You must accept all of his advances. And that totally bleeds into the My Body book. She was stuck in that cycle and she didn't know how to get out. She lived it and it was terrible and dehumanizing. Yeah. And I want to say, I think this is dehumanizing to men also. Because we're agreeing on a visceral desire that I actually think we're we're taking a God-given desire, which is to be desirable physically to another person, and we're manipulating it in a darker way than Jesus intended. And and I and I think men are being pulled into. So I, I, I you know, and I know both of us are not like, hey, this is dangerous for women. It's debilitating for men because it doesn't allow them to actually then go home and enter into, or it makes it more difficult to go home and enter into a more real life relationship, which is way more messy. Women come attached with children and careers and mowing the lawn and uh, and hopes and dreams and, and things that and she's dreams. interested in. She's not She's not interested in you all the time, buddy. I'm right. sorry. She's not. <laughs> she's got other things going on. Like, I, I look at this and I have two sons, one of which is in high school now. And I'm like, this is not the kind of woman I want for him. Someone who basically just shapes herself to be like an appendage. I mean, if you saw Barbie, like Ken is the... In the movie Barbie, Ken is the appendage, right? He's just there, exists to 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 feed off of Barbie's energy, basically. And you know that that's a satire that movie or whatever. But it it definitely gave you perspective of like this is not good for anyone really right. to be stuck in that role. That that doesn't help anybody out. Now right. in the movie right. Barbie, I will clarify that she was not. Uh, ogling him or dehumanizing him or taking advantage of him. So she portrayed a different 
way of dealing with it than what we see in our own culture. She just but, dismissed him, which I yes. think is not very nice either. <laughs> I will agree I with mean, that. I, I, I don't, her, she ignored him as if he was just, you know, an afterthought, which is a little dehumanizing. He's a also. side note. He was yeah, a, side he's a side note. side note. And we don't want to treat people like that either. No. Barbie is a whole other conversation, but... Uh, <laughs> So I think I will say I do think it plays into this a little bit because Barbie was trying to push back against these norms. And but I was I loved the movie, but I was not 100 percent sold on that. They did it as well, like that they fulfilled their goal. But I think she started asking some really good questions to pull women out of saying, you have to conform to beauty. You have to be available sexually. You have to focus on men. You have to be accepting of all of his advances. Like she pulled women out and said, well, what if we don't, what does it look like in Barbie land? If we don't have to do any of that, I think those are great questions to be asking. And so how would you, I'm curious, like how, and now that you are thinking in this light, um, how how do you want to like raise your boys how do we shape our children and again one of the ways i did it maybe to the point where my kids don't want to talk about it anymore but um talking about these issues like yeah. in the home well we are just kind of at the forefront like right now so i can't say that i have executed all of this um but i do well, no you're in the middle of it <laughs> <laughs> right right we're just starting to have certain conversations, but, you know, I, I have, um, talked to them before about girls and like when you're dating, like you want somebody that you enjoy being around someone who's fun, someone that you can share interests with, not just, oh my gosh, she's smoking hot. Like that is not a good, (laughs) a a good measure of what's going to work here. So we've, we've had those kind of beginning conversations that I think are very important. I think the more difficult ones are going to be coming where we need to say things like, what is consent? How do you know if a girl wants you to hold her hand? Um, You know, like what if she doesn't tell her parents that she wants to hold you, you to hold her hand? Like, how does that work when you're like 15 you know, it's it's different now when you're at this age versus when you're like 25 and maybe your parents aren't as involved in your life. So right. uh, some of these questions are not going to be super easy to discuss, but they are going to be discussions, I think, more long conversations about it and and how we can both boys and girls can feel respected and encouraged when they're together. And, and so how do you personally grapple with this like in your marriage in your I don't mean like between you and your husband so much but as a woman in a family how how can you how, how do you how does this impact you personally and how do you combat this these messages that we're receiving which by the way much of this is I, I what provokes much of this conversation for me is that I'm aging and lots of yeah. women are talking to me about how they feel like as they age they become invisible yeah. and part of what they're becoming invisible what part of what makes them invisible is the lack of the male gaze that they were so used to having and so conditioned to try to get. And we aren't even aware that that 
maybe that's all a little bit of a wacky thing that we were raised with, but how, how do we do this? Like, like me bringing up the, Hey guys, I'm not really okay with the word smoking hot in my house because uh-huh. this is what it communicates to me. Um, but also like I've been pretty open with my body and what, you know, talking about how like literally sticking my foot up to my chest. <laughs> Look at my feet. She's so good to me. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> how do how do we as women walk around in our beautiful female yeah. bodies and communicate that yes they're sexual but they're not always you know like I tell people yeah. all the time we walk around in sexual bodies 365 days out of the year I've got female parts a female soul female hormones I mean I'm I'm a sexual human that walks around 365 days out of the year, 24 hours a day in this sexualized body. But I don't gauge in sex, like, but a small proportion out of that amount of time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so my body is moving. How do I move it around and move with me and, 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 and say no to these messages and say there's something more important about my body than what you're giving me? I think um, beauty sick kind of helped clarify some of that for me too, because she, you know, she, she lists all kinds of statistics and results of beauty preoccupation. And she, at the end of the book is basically like, we're not here to denigrate caring for your body, but we need to keep it in balance and recognize that if you are setting aside uh important hopes, dreams, aspirations, because you're so focused on making sure that every aspect of your body conforms to a certain idealized look, you're missing out. So the idea of like keeping it in, in perspective, like that for me, um, is going to be a back and forth journey. I remember when my kids were so little and they, I would take them to preschool and like, I was a hot mess preschool mornings because I just like you at that stage they're not always sleeping through the night and you're just you're I was never getting enough sleep and it was like my house was always a disaster I had to get kids fed and clothed and out the door and like I just had a really hard time getting it all to work and I would show up at preschool disheveled no makeup and I started to realize that when I went to preschool and I didn't have makeup on I was a little angry because I felt insecure. And so that was something I had to wrestle through of like, huh, Huh. I didn't realize that until I sat and reflected. And so there are times now where I consciously go out in public (laughs) without makeup because I'm like, listen, I don't want to feel so bound to this. That doesn't mean I never wear makeup. Most of the time I do. But there are times where I just want to be like, I am not less of a person Because I don't do that. And I think, you know, every woman gets to make her own choice about what this looks like in her life. But I think this will also be something where I, I keep that in mind as friends do all kinds of uh, treatments to their body. I need to know that I am not less of a person because I don't have Botox. Yep. I'm not less of a person because I don't have implants. I'm not less of a person because whatever, whatever, I don't have fillers. I don't have this. I need to continually reaffirm that to myself. And I need to have other women around me who can affirm that as well and, and live that out. And so that we can support each other because my husband is not going to get that. 
my boys are not going to, they're not going to be like, oh man, I need to go have some Botox. <laughs> like they're not going <laughs> to say that kind of stuff. But as women, we sit around and we struggle with it. So if I can have someone in, in my life, you know, they don't, we don't all have to do it exactly the same. I'm not saying you never can do those things, but I'm saying I'm going to need some women in my life who can affirm that and live that out and we can support each other through it. Right. And I think you bring up a really good point. And then I want to move on to my last question. And that is, I, I, I think women can get together and start to, the, the pressure actually has become that if you're the one at the table who hasn't had any work done, there's a tremendous amount of pressure and fear in, in, invoked toward you. Fear of, look, if you don't do it now, you're going to be really sorry because mm-hmm. you know, in five years, boy, you're going to get it and it won't matter. And you're sitting around a table with a bunch of women your own age and you can see that their breasts are perkier and you can <laughs> see that they don't have as many wrinkles, right? And there, and there is some verbal conversations around this where it's a lot of pressure toward the one who isn't engaging in it, which is really interesting. It's no longer uh, a shame for the person who is. It's the shame mm-hmm. toward a person who isn't, right? To stay that way, the fear that she's told, that I'm told, that other women are told is if you don't do something about it now, you're going to be sorry. And even your husband isn't going to stay. In I have heard these conversations. Oh, man. In Christian circles. And I'm like, so so what this does to me personally, and this is just my personality. I'm an eight and I'm kind of a warrior. And everything <laughs> in me goes, oh no, you will not tell me what I have to do. <laughs> so then I get rebellious, right? So like mm-hmm. I might have already, already had all of that done had these women not pressured me and told me that I had to out of fear. Now I'm like, no, that is not going to happen. Anyway, my last question. What does Jesus have to say about any of this? And I don't think Jesus is asking women to make a moral decision about whether she has a breast implant or doesn't. Like, I don't want to say that the Bible says, thus says the Lord, one way or the other. But in your faith, your personal faith, how does this inform you? How does Jesus inform you about this? How does he help you? How do you anchor any of this in your faith? I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, lead with a story that is not Jesus, but I could totally see him saying it. So I forget which book now, but one of these books that I've read, they, it tells a story of a little girl and her, and her mom walking somewhere. And she's similar to your daughter. She, you know, she's wearing a cute little outfit and she says, mom, am I pretty? And the mom looks at her and says, that's not your job. Like you can be, you can be whatever you want, but that's, it's not your job to be pretty to other people. So I think Jesus loves women, loves their bodies, thinks female bodies are an amazing creation, but it is not their job to be pretty for men. Yeah. That is other women or or other other women. women. Other women. I think I think Jesus wants more for us than that. I think it is too limiting to say you're pretty, you're sexual, you're smoking hot. That is too too little. God too wants too small more. of a story. Too Absolutely. small of a story. I agree. I agree. 
Heather, you have been an absolute delight. Um, from the moment I heard you speak at Northern Seminary, I thought, I like this woman. She <laughs> thinks really well. And so I want to thank you for coming on to our podcast. Um, your insights were truly valuable. Well, can this was great for us, me. Remind us again um, how people can uh, reach you, how they can hear more, because you have some writing out there and you've got great thoughts. And I want these women and men to be percolating with you on on your mind. I have a website where I try to kind of keep track of my writing. It's called Heather Hart Writes. My last name is H-A-R-T. So, and, and I will post that on the Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook page for all of you guys if you want it. And I want to thank you out there tuning in. I hope you found this discussion informative and thought-provoking. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and be kind to your body. She deserves it. Ciao. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.